0: Hi everyone, I'm Eamon Fennell. This is the Hot Ball with AIG. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Alan Brogan about his time in the Dublin Jersey over a 14-year career. We're going to look back at some of the highs, some of the lows, talk about family life, and also about how he got to where he got to. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Right, Ali. Welcome to Hot Ball with AIG. We're going to talk a bit about your career and your time in Dublin Jersey and find out like, you know, stuff that you are doing now with the kids, how you see Dublin GEA evolving, and, and all that kind of fun stuff as well. So yeah. I just want to kick off with 2002 because after I was watching you in Locker Gale and you, you were hoping to make the breakthrough a bit earlier and it never happened and then you got the breakthrough in 2002. So what did that mean to you? Like, you know, coming into the Dublin team then?
1: Yeah, I think I, I'm not sure if I wanted to make 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 the breakthrough before that. Like when I, I made my debut, actually made me but my uh, national league debut in a national league game against Harrow under Tommy Carr. And um, I'd say it was before before Christmas, early after Christmas, and when I was straight out of minor. But I was on the panel for I was on the panel for a couple of months, and I I was in the squad. I think it was the only game I was in the squad for um, in Parnell Park and. I actually got on for the last two or three minutes, I never actually, I never touched the ball in the match, the only touch I got was, um, I think Tyrone got a free and somebody threw the ball back to the ref and I put my hand up and I touched the ball as it was going back to the ref, so that was actually the only touch I got in that game, but um, obviously that summer I went to America with with, um, with Barry Cahill. actually, we went to New York for the summer and, and I think he'd actually been invited into the panel but he chose to, um, he chose to go to America for the summer knowing that he'd probably be in the panel the following year and uh, in hindsight, it was probably a good decision for good decision for him as well. We got to spend a summer over there that we mightn't have got to do again because obviously the twelve or thirteen years after that we were playing with Dublin. Um but but t-
0: I said that to Collie Morin, because Collie was supposed to go as well. Like he was thinking about him and Han about going on that trip as well. And he never went and he still regrets it.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I was look I what. I'd been in the National League panel and then I wasn't in the Championship panel but but um, Tommy Carr actually wanted Katzer to come in for the summer and, 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 and Katzer refused the offer um, and I went to America and I was glad and that happened a couple of times in uh, 2004 um Lydia, my wife now was going to Australia after we won the 21 All-Ireland actually and um, um, she wanted to go in September and I said look hang on and I'll go with you after the 21 All-Ireland was over and I sent to Tommy Lyons. I was gone. I was gonna go for five or six months or whatever, and he said, "Yeah, no problem." And um, he actually gave me a few quid to join the gym out there as well. Uh, <laughs> I think that oh, was oh, Sean Costello. That money was <laughs> wasted anyway. <laughs> I think I paid fifty dollars for the first month's rent, and I got that—that that was it after that. <laughs> it was a home gym, was it? <laughs> you know me in the gym now, you know. yeah, yeah. It's hard enough, I had to. But, uh, yeah, but look, I went to Australia that time as well for six months, and if I had been myself, I probably would have never done it. So those two trips were probably the only real trips we got to go on the summer in New York and five or six months in Australia at the end of 2004. of and Yeah, look, I was very thankful for that. But I think when Tommy Lyons came in, obviously came in in 2002 as a manager, was I think it was probably a fresh start for everyone. And, and Tommy wanted to make changes. He wanted to bring, obviously, that team hadn't won a Leinster since 1995, which is... Which is unbelievable as we look back now, um and he knew the team needed freshen up, he knew he needed to get some some, some fresh legs and some youth into it. So that uh, like he brought in Ray Cosgrove, who was obviously his his, his um club mate in and kill McCord and and I think Cosby kinda of came out of nowhere and obviously Tommy saw something saw something because he'd been on the panel a couple of years, kinda of been in and out of the team maybe but, but, but I think Tommy showed he really believed in him and obviously we saw what Cosby did that year in two thousand two. I think he kicked six. 623 or 624. So it was a phenomenal year for him. But I think that's what that's what Tommy did very well, um, and instilled belief in fellas that, that 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 were maybe new to the scene or whatever. Johnny McNally as well. He came in and, and maybe lots of people wouldn't have thought him as a um, as an intercounty footballer, but he made made a huge impact on the team that year, and um, and a big impact on a few on a few nights out as well. He was good old crack Johnny. Still is I heard to, He
0: was a character.
1: Uh, he was a good character. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, we were on a training camp, uh, it was the training camp in in, in Tenerife, maybe, and uh, a few lads, I think, were pushing to have a few drinks. There was no drink at all, and so a few of the lads were pushing to have a few points. And then and, um, Tommy Lyons at the top of the room, and he says, uh, he asked Johnny McNally, Johnny, what do you think? Do you think we should have a few points? And Johnny and McNally says, now bear in mind, he was only on the panel a year, so, and, uh, and Tommy says, Jays, Tom, a few points never hurt anyone. <laughs> he was so dropped think, the next day. That, so I think, I think Tommy let us have two points that night. <laughs>
0: um, but like, they, they were, like, I suppose they're the moments you really remember us, is, is stories like that. And you've been on a few trips. I know we went to Le Mangue with Pat and there was a few other trips along the way. How big of a role do you think they play in regards to team bonding and, and actually I remember when we went to Wexford with Piller, and we were allowed to have one or two points, and then the roundup came. Like you know, get back on the bus, and we were all hiding in different corners at a bar, trying to keep it going for a bit longer. Like you need them bites.
1: Yeah, no, you definitely do, and I think they play a huge part in in in, in forging bond in the team. Obviously, look, it has to be done in the has to be run the right fashion. You don't want to get them out of hand, but um, I think teams going away. I've often heard of teams going away for four or five nights, six nights and, and having no team night out. Like for me that does defeat the purpose. Obviously you need to do your training and you're there for a reason, but kind of bonding and that, that trust and that friendship you build up as you well know over the years is like is so, so important. And I think Pat Gilroy always spoke about it, like about a team isn't a team, kinda of without that friendship and without that trust behind the scenes. And I think in the big games and it's only then you really know in the big games and the tight games when you're when your backs are to the wall um, and when you just really need to come together as a team, that's when you that's when you see those bonds that have been forged over the over the previous few years. And I think that's what the team in in, in two thousand eleven that won the All Ireland, like we'd forged that very close bond over the previous three or four years before that. And um, I think that's ultimately was part of what's got us over the line like we knew when we were in that position that guys could trust each other to do the right thing and i think that probably wasn't always the case um but
0: i, I like trusting one another to do the right thing but i also think to trust that knowing whatever happened within the team be it a night out on the pitch stay within the group like you know and the the joys of camera phones these days kind of ruin a lot of that for teams like you know and, and even for players like you know there's always someone who likes to post about a night out and I may have been guilty of it in the past but like you came into a dublin team where you were like a real shining light in 2002 and that social media wasn't really there and then if you take someone like bernard who just came in to his i suppose his best years when social media kicked off did you really see that change then in in, in behaviors for players then like you know in regards that lax setting of when you were there in 2002 to the more rigid and
1: structured approach of 2010 onwards. Yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, like as I said, like as a Dublin footballer, you have a certain responsibility, and and like it doesn't matter who's the manager or what what stage is that. You're, you're 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 kind of up there. There's kids looking at you, and there's lots of people looking at you. So you do have to you do have to try carry yourself in a in a certain fashion. I like think obviously with social media now and and like it probably does put a lot more pressure on players, particularly on, on, on maybe players' performance, not even nights out or stuff, but on, on like on players' performances, now you can see there's so many people, especially with the big games, there's so many people writing about them on social media. Um, all you have to do after a game is scroll onto onto your Twitter account or whatever, and you can see what people are saying about you. So that brings its own, and it's not always good, that brings its own pressures, whereas in 2002, to start, there was... It like was only the newspapers really. So if you choose like we used to say and I'm sure you were on the panel then on the pillar about not reading newspapers, just don't touch the newspapers. But kind of that doesn't work anymore. You nearly need to be switching off your social media accounts the week before uh, the week before a match and the week after a match so you're not reading any of your stuff because if we all know what that's said, we always spoke, but anything that's said outside the group it doesn't really matter. All that matters is what's said and what happens inside the four walls of the restaurant.
0: Especially when you have pundits like you now. <laughs>
1: I haven't got any text message yet to say I said something wrong about anyone, but I uh, look, it is something I'm conscious of. Like, like, I obviously talk about this Dublin team because everyone wants to talk about them, and I'm always very respectful that that that, that look, you have to try and be honest, but you don't want to upset anyone either. And I suppose I've probably been lucky enough. I, I, I remember um uh, when I started writing for the Independent, I did an interview with Paul Kimmage, and he asked me one of his last questions was, "So what happens if?" Uh, what happens when you're writing a, a, and the time comes for it to be drafted you're going to write it um, and I said well if I have to if I have to write it I, I'm not sure if I will or not <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I've been lucky enough that that because Dublin have won the last five All-Irelands in a row I haven't had to write anything negative about it it would be a different yeah, story yeah. if they were talking about some of our performances back <laughs> in the Adonis you would have to write something different so I've been in the It'd be being a privileged situation, um, that I haven't had to say too much negative about, about this current Dublin team, but it is something I'm aware of. I'm sure there will come a day where I do say something, and maybe it's happened already, and I have upset somebody. But um,
0: because one of the things when I was watching like your locker gale was, uh, it wasn't about stuff you wrote or anything like that. It was about something you did regarding celebrating goals and all that all that kind of stuff. So when you're really I think it was against Leash and one person that called you out was woolly, like you know, Colin Parkinson called and, you know, says a lot about what you did to him. Uh but like can you see that in players now? When you're you're now pundit and you know there's a maturing period for a player. Like, will you if you see a player do something stupid now, would you call him out now or you just think, oh look, he's just he's just maturing and it's just part of the game. Like, you know, he has to grow into it a bit more.
1: Yeah, I think like like sometimes for me, I, like over the years, I got involved with people in matches, and sometimes it was, a, it was a positive for me. Sometimes it was a negative for me. I think this current Dublin team, under Jim Gavin and probably under you know, Pat Gilroy, put a huge focus on just not getting involved with the opposition at all, and 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 it's obviously worked. Um like hearing from Woody, like was a bit was a bit rich now. Fair, it was probably correct. It was a uh, it. it, it like I probably was childish on the day, and but there was probably a little bit of an undercurrent between our team at that stage and that league team. We played him a few times, yeah, and, yeah, uh, and there was a little bit of an undercurrent there. But and look, I apologise for that afterwards, and I met a couple of lads and, and I spoke to all the after and says, ah, look, it probably was a bit out of order, but uh, uh, I suppose heat at the moment, in the heat of moment, you make mistakes. But the, but I think there's certain uh, there's certain elements. Look, I think the sledging and stuff is is. But he has no part in football but you certainly have to stand your ground and you know american defenders and stuff there's some there's some tough defenders out there that, that, that aren't afraid to give it to you and you need to be able to show them you can hold your ground as well and i actually had a conversation with with and um, with mick alway the ex Irish rugby a uh, lock a few weeks ago and uh, and he was saying the amount of, Talking and yapping that goes on in rugby matches and scrums and lineouts is still huge to this day. So, um, like it's probably a bit more evident than in, in when you see it happening in the Gaelic football match. And I think at, for a certain period under Pillar, we probably got a little bit carried away with it. Um, but Alan, I spoke with it before I think at that stage we were just trying anything we could. Like we'd failed a couple of times, we were trying it and we could just to try to get it across the line. And uh, I certainly won't won't make any apologies about that. And, Sometimes it looked a little ugly, but that's how bad we wanted it.
0: Well, like, this all happened when you were corner forward. Did you find when you went out to half forward that you were able to play a bit more freer? Like, you weren't, a, there wasn't as much pressure on you. Like, you know, you're not so isolated in the corner. You're out the pitch, you can run around a bit more. Did you feel that, that transition from corner forward to centre forward allowed you to express yourself a bit more?
1: Yeah, I think it did. I, 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 um... And that change probably happened when Bernard came into the team. Like I'd probably been our our our, our scoring corner forward for a for a few years before that. And um because the scoring you, rate was all right, you, it wasn't prolific like, like.
0: When you came out to centre forward, you didn't score any goals. That's the one
1: stat I couldn't believe. I know, yeah, I started giving them to the lads. <laughs> started, started giving them. There was a few young lads coming onto the team at that stage now. I was trying to big them up. But I remember we played leash, might have been two thousand and eight or nine and I think I put Dermot through for two goal chances. He missed the two of them and I gave him a third one. Remember he slotted the third one. <laughs> I was saying to you afterwards, Dermot, I was sure I was gonna get your goal today. But um, he never gave me one back after that. Which, look. Uh, well he gave, he gave me that stage. point
0: in two thousand and
1: fifteen. Yeah, exactly. That's true, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, but like when you actually speaking of someone like Dermot who in two thousand eleven, like full forward line of him and Berno, like you know, two phenomenal players. But again, they can probably handle themselves. Darren moving out to half forward as a player then kind of opened him up to be able to get around the pitch a bit more and didn't put as much, like, he, again, he wasn't as isolated in the corner. Yeah. Like, I mean, even look at Gooch Cooper when he moves out to half forward. Do you think that's a big part of just a player that's evolving? Like, you know, you're going from that poacher to that playmaker that-
1: Yeah, well, I think when you're playing inside, you need to be really sharp to get out in front. Obviously, cornerbacks are. are uh, at, at inter county level, they're very very quick, so you need to be that that be sharper to get out in front. And out at centre for out at centre, centre forward, you can just get a little bit more space on it. But I think, um, I was probably maturing as a footballer then, and, and kind of by the stage by the time I'd moved out to out to centre forward, I'd realised that it was completely about the team and not to like when I was playing inside. I always wanted us to win, but I know I took wrong options at stage, just looking for scores myself, and um, that maybe I shouldn't have. And I remember. Uh, and I was looking back at, at, at clips of the, the two thousand and five um, quarterfinal against Tyrone. The first game, a few days ago, and uh, and the goal Mulligan got actually came from from a block shot on me. And it was a shot I should never have taken on. There was three or four Tyrone defenders around me, and um, it was actually it was actually an easy block. to goal I should never shot. I, I should have just turned around and hand passed it back to somebody else. But from that from that block down, uh, can't remember who got a calmly. Connor Gormley got, I think he gave a ball to Stephen O'Neill and he gave it to Mulligan, next thing is in the back of the net. So that's, like we were three points up at that stage. So that's how, a little moments like that, how how games turn. Um, it was obviously a harsh lesson that day, but I remember looking at it at the time and I saw it a few days ago and I was thinking that was 2005, say so from 2008, I'd never have made a mistake like that because I just wouldn't have taken an option on like that because it wasn't the right thing to do at the time. So I think there comes a stage and you saw Kuduchin about you just mature as a footballer and you can add a bit more to the team out there.
0: Did you like being in half four because it meant you had to try and tackle and I'm going to use that try and tackle uh, in font 56 like you know because it wasn't (laughs) part of your game but you had to make it part of your game so like you're not only transitioning from being a natural goal scorer to now being out the pitch, getting more people involved, pulling the strings and kind of like I always found you as kind of that puppet master where if I got the ball, I was always looking for you or Heno because you were just always open for whatever reason, you just had that gift. But like now your game involves a lot more. It involves a bit more physicality, tackling, tracking back and all. I know you found that tough. Like
1: Yeah, I think a lot of, like but, but there was obviously a few of us had to work hard on our tackling at that stage. And um, you didn't want to hear me. I think there was a few of us had to work hard in our tackling at that stage, and and, and yeah, look, I did find it hard, but I actually I put pressure on myself to get tackles, and other fellas like stopped counting me scores. We used to just look at our look at our look at our tackle counts. Like when Ray Boyne used to send us stats on the stats in the Monday morning like, but like the first thing I go for was to see my tackle count. So that's how our how our kind of psyche changed over those few years that it became such an important part, and. Um, like and the people would take would take our scores for granted, it might take me getting a couple of scores for granted, it might take Brenner getting a couple of scores for granted, it might take Mossy getting a couple of scores for granted. There but if it, like if one of us got a turnover in a training match or whatever you'd hear, shouts to the lads around you. So like when I moved out, I felt if I could get if I could get tackles in or if I could get a turnover, that was gonna provide a huge boost for the team, probably more so than if i if I was kicking an actual score up into into Hill sixteen
0: yeah and, and i kind of felt that that was because it was you getting that turnover you know where you you're known for a guy like if brian cullen had got that turnover for instance like it's just cully doing what he does expected, yeah. Yeah. yeah but for you like it, that gave the team such a lift because i thought when when you were doing it it kind of emphasized like right, he's up for this we're up for this let's go after it. like you know did you did you feel that burden at all when you were playing like that? As you said, you were looking at your stats for tackles. Did that just become the all-encompassing thing of your game? is just get tackles?
1: Yeah, certainly when we didn't have the ball, it did. I, like I wouldn't say it was a burden, but and especially under Pat and Pat came in, and after me beat us at, at after they got the five goals against in 2010. From there on in, like you were there, our, ta- our tackle count became huge, and that's really what our what our game plan was based on. If we could, if we could. Hit up the ninety, hundred tackles. There was a pretty good chance we were going to win the game. If we didn't, there was a pretty good chance we we, we were going to lose the game. It was as, like as simple as that. Like, and, and yeah. the guy knew was a forward. You'd be aiming to get five tackles in the game. And if the it, like, if the five, if the six forwards got five tackles each, then as a team we were up on thirty tackles. That was a pretty good start. So um, especially you know, if you're getting what tackles you're, in
0: the forward line because that's when the turnovers happen. And like when you're on the counter attack. Uh, that's when you can really hurt teams. And I think they talked about it there. Meath, I think that's how Meath kind of hurt was They caught us on the counter-attack. You know, they didn't catch us on the counter-attack five times, but at least three of them goals just came off the run of play. Like you know, w- w- Was that your worst day in a Dublin jersey that day
1: against Meath? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. Probably one of the Tyrone games was... Um, the Tyrone game in 2008 was probably... Uh, was probably worse. Um, I think early in that game, I had to go off on a hamstring injury. I was, I was captain of Dublin that year. We'd won the Leinster Championship, beating Wexford by twenty-three points, and and we were odds-on favourites and the bookies to beat Tyrone. They came out and they, they hammered us that day. I went off after six minutes, and and we just completely collapsed that day. Like I think anyone that anyone that was playing would agree. It was it was a it was a really poor performance from us, and. Um, and you know, when Pillar was involved, I think like he really did leave no stone unturned to try and reach an all ireland final. And, and like it's one of the regret one of the regrets that I have that under him we didn't we didn't get to an all ireland final. But I think our our, our our game plan was very much built on an on an attacking on an attacking platform as opposed to when Pat came in, the first thing he did was have us defensively solid and and like I'm sure you remember in in the first year under Pat. Were you there in the first year under Pat, yeah?
0: Yeah.
1: First year under Pat, six backs weren't allowed to leave the, uh, weren't allowed to leave their half of the field. So that's, that's how important he saw it. And until we got that right, we didn't really even work on anything else up front. It was just about getting the defensive structure right and everything else followed after that. So I think that was the one big difference between Pat and Pillar maybe. Um, and I think that's, that's probably why we struggled under Pillar to get over. One of the really big teams because at the back as you, not just at the back as a as a team, we just weren't very defensively sound. That um, we just weren't structured very well defensively.
0: Yeah, and, and I and I think there's a, there's multiple reasons for that. Like you know, as you said, like you, when you play such an offensive game plan and you get that shock and there's no plan B, it's hard to react and everyone's kind of doing what they think is the right thing, but no one's actually doing the right thing because as a collective, you're all over the place. Like, you know, and I think that was definitely one of the things I noticed with the transition from pillar to path to gym uh, and especially the latter stage for, with gym was the guys could actually dictate the scenario in front of them. So, you know, if they're looking at a game plan, if the, there's 13 men behind the ball, you'll see them funnel, funneling the ball down the wings, working it back around the day and all the way back around until they get the opening. You know, it takes again a bit of maturity but also some harsh lessons like Dublin against Donegal when yeah. they got flipped over, like, you know, so do you think Dublin have really responded to them challenges that have been put in front of them? Where Yeah, like, well,
1: I think re- like I think the mark of, the mark of a good coach is how he how he evolves when they lose. And I think um, after winning the All Ireland in two thousand and thirteen Playing this wonderfully attacking brand of football, and going to 2014 then, and and kind of trying to play the same way and getting that sucker punch off Donegal in the in the All Ireland semi final. How Jim evolved the team after that, and how the guys evolved um, on the team as well, and and kind of they went from being very open at the back to the following year being sound at the back, very well organised at the back, structurally very well, very hard to break down, very hard to score goals against, and I think that was, that's the thing that really impressed me about Jim, was that, that he evolved as a manager, he changed his style a little bit to suit the way the game was going, and it obviously paid huge, huge dividends for him and, the, and myself on and the Dublin team um, over the last five years, but um, I think that's when, like, when you talk about Jimmy McGuinness, when he came in, and um, and he played this defensive style of football, and he obviously went after, after a couple of years. I think to see him come back now and see how he'd evolve his brand of football, and um, to play against other teams would be great because he would have to evolve from, say, from the tactics that he used in over those few years from the Beatles in fourteen, and when they won the Wonder All Ireland in 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 um, two thousand and twelve, wasn't it? Yeah, two thousand twelve, yeah. the yeah. All Ireland. Um, but, but speaking of great coaches,
0: years. you started off as a coach in Plunketts. Uh, you took a role, sorry, you didn't start off. you took a role as a coach's as bunkers, as a Games Promotion Officer, and myself, Shaco, yourself, I think we were the three kind of, uh, just part of the first crop of, of GPOs that went out. Looking at the demands on any of the county football, did you kind of take that job because it was easier to take that job and have the time to play in the county football and give your kind of, you're all to the game rather than being in a in a really corporate intense role at the time,
1: like you know. Yeah, well, looking to be fair, every job I ever took was 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 kind of taken on the basis that it could could um, facilitate you playing football, and I think that's one of the that's probably one of the lessons I can uh, I can pass on to younger guys. Like I actually started doing accountancy exams about uh, a couple of years after I left college, and and. Uh, and I was studying at night time, going to college at night time, and it just wasn't feasible, and I just, I just packed it in, because it was starting to interfere with, with, um, with me playing football, and, and whether that's a good thing, or a bad thing, I'm not so sure, but I think, kind of guys are, are, are like, especially with the, especially with the GPA now, they're, they're, they're be they're better versed, in that sort of stuff now, and how to, how to structure their lives, and how to structure their education, and, and I Maybe mean, playing for county football alongside that, but uh, no, I certainly took jobs to that that allowed me to play football, but it does still happen. Like, I think there's a lot of guys going into teaching now that that's are going into teaching because they want to play football or Hurl, and it's not really for the love of teaching that they're going in for. And that might sound harsh, but I think I think it's the truth. I think there's other guys that 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 are staying on in college later, which is. Which is fine, doing masters, doing maybe PhDs and stuff because it's a it's a less hectic schedule for them than having a full time job um, as an accountant or as a solicitor or a, as a doctor or whatever. Because it is very difficult if you're a if you're a full time professional, like I I worked as you worked at uh, um, as a games promotion officer and then I was a sales rep for a while for a couple of drinks companies and stuff. So I did kinda my time was my own. You had to do your work, but my time was my own and if I needed to slip away I could always do that. But if you're a if you're a doctor or a solicitor or, a, or an accountant or whatever, it's very very difficult to get the time to do it. Um
0: But but that um, also but comes that also comes down to like you finished playing and the three kids were were born when you were in
1: 2015. Ready? No two Harry and Harry and James and Hugo's 2017. Oh okay, right.
0: So you had two kids when you were when you were still playing and. I know in 2000 and I want to say it was 2010 or 11, Lydia was back in college. Yeah. Um, like how important is it to have someone at home like, like Lydia that is there for you as a support when you have kids, when you have loads of stuff going on and just having someone you can bounce off. That's a solid rock like Lydia, like Lydia, like, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, if you don't have like if you you kids at home, you don't have someone that that's going to support you. It's just, there's no way you can play inter-county football, and I think Libby was doing it with we doing a mass at the time. We had Jamie, who was a baby, and I was after trying to play inter-county football. So it was like you look back now, and it was like it was crazy. But we we're stuck in a moment, and you just we were just going through it, and you just like you just stick at it. I'm sure it was days she was wrecked, there was days I was wrecked, but you just like you just keep going, and, and, and like in a way, like you know yourself, footballers can be very selfish, and I'm like I'm sure I was very selfish at the time, but, Stages and like she'd say to me you know, that 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 like on a Saturday before the match you wouldn't get off the couch to do anything even like I just God I can't get up. You're trying I to keep that going. I could only get up because it's a long time since I lay in the couch now. <laughs> 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 but you would only get up like before matches on a Saturday? I'd be I'd be afraid to expend any energy whatsoever. If you went for a walk that'd be it. Um, or up to have a bit of food and stuff. You'd want to be lying. on finding the couch command and, and that gets harder when you have kids. It's just it's just impossible to do that. But uh to be fair, she picked up a lot of slack over the years because we had we had Jamie in two thousand and eight, which was which was early enough. Like I played seven or eight years after that, so um, well, which it like, was great for him to see as well. Obviously, he got on the field for the All Ireland in two thousand and eleven. But but there's no question it was a challenge. But but do you think
0: that having someone? Um, like you were kind of seeing Lydia as soon as your the county career t- took off. And, you know, there's other players that kind of enjoy everything but the playing side of it, like, you know, um, and having someone at home that can kind of keep, give you a bit of discipline as well. Because you need to have that. And Alex Ferguson spoke about that. He'd rather his players have girlfriends from an early age rather than yeah. going out not nights out. Like, you know, do you think having that partner gives you that? And is Lydia...
1: Like, I hear a lot of people talking about how your dad was a great influence, how your mom has helped you, having the brothers there
0: to grow up with and all, but just about Lydia and the role that she played, like, do do people take that for granted as well, and getting that just to support you have at home?
1: Yeah, no, and she always gave me a very good grounding, to be fair, for, like, we moved out, or we moved in together early enough, I think we were only 24, and we bought a house when we were 24, I think so. Um, so I She was obviously into the football, but she wasn't fanatic at all. So I could come home and completely switch off from of football. She'd never ask if I wanted to talk about it. She talked about it, but she'd never ask me about about uh about what was going on or like anything like that. If I wanted to tell her, I'd tell her. If I didn't, I didn't. So that was that was always good because you do want to like it can be very intense being in an inter intercounty squad and like particularly when we were really going hard at it. We were we were uh having a lot of meetings about stuff and that, and and it can get quite intense and. Like a lot of notes coming home, a lot of stuff to look at, and like even the analysis in the mid-90s was probably a bit more than it is now. Like that they have the technology now to distill it down to to a minute or two, whereas kind of back then we used to have to watch a little bit more. So it was quite intense, and, and I always found it good to come home and not have to talk about football, I'd just throw the gear back into the into your room or whatever, and that was it. I could I could forget about it until I was going to the gym the next day or whatever. <laughs> jim the next
0: day. <laughs> don't worry pillar pat and jim not listen to this you're all right uh but like speaking of the, they
1: said, when when um when tommy lyons came in the first meeting we went and tommy lyons was in um Cahalbury, our first training session was in cahillbrew barracks in in Brant mines there and uh weights were only really getting going like there was no um real weights program and stuff we did bring in there was an army man called um, Shaska was the guy's name, but he came in to give us a weights program. So um we arrived at training one night and there was a there was a set of dumbbells under the bench for everyone in a little um in a little red box. And um, so everyone's off their dumbbells. They say they're they're still upstairs in the little red box, I'd say, at this stage, <laughs> hardly taken out with all. But well, I Do you
0: see do you see that now? Like uh I, I, and I'm definitely I've I fallen fell for this and still do. Like if if I wanted to, like if I said to a few lads and Vincent's now, right, come on, we go to the gym and we do a session. I get about six or seven lads wanting to go to the gym for like a weight session. But if I said to the lads, just want to go kicking a few balls, I probably get one or two right in right back. Do you think that the game is kind yeah. of evolving now to players getting a bit more into the aesthetics of how they look rather than actually the skill side of it?
1: I think weights became a huge part for, but um, like for me, it was always about, and it still is always about the skills of the game. But I think the size fellas are now playing at the county football. It, like it has to be a big part. And I said before, if I was starting out now, there's no way I'd get away with what I what I got away with in terms of avoiding gym sessions and stuff. And uh, I'm not that I avoided gym sessions. You but didn't have, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, but you were just, just there. I was nearly more afraid of getting of losing a bit of pace than. Because I did see in, in, say, around 2006, 2007, I remember the likes of Berno and Ross getting really, really, really top-heavy, Declan Lally getting really, really big in their arms and stuff. And we were definitely overdoing on the weights a little bit, and whether it cost the lads a, a yard of pace, I'm not sure, but it, was, like it genuinely was one thing I was all, I was always afraid, if it did too much weights, that, that you just might lose that little yard of pace. and. Like I always said, my game was always about evasion. It was about staying out of tackles um, when I had the ball, obviously, and, and kind of evading guys. And if you lost that little turn of pace, then that would have changed the way I would have had to play the game. And I didn't want, I didn't want that to happen. But certainly for me, I'd be putting, I was coaching a team, and I, I do help out with the kids' team now. There's a huge emphasis on the skills of the game, and left foot and right foot. And I think if you can get the skills of the game to a certain level, guys are going to have a, have a really good chance. And like those guys, those guys that played into county with us um, probably one of them probably one of them yourself and probably on you know, the left foot was, <laughs> for stand, was for standing on only you might have swung it out a few balls over the years but uh, two points off like a lot hand. of guys like a lot of guys couldn't kick that way with their left foot and, and, and like it was something that my dad would have drilled into us as kids and, and, and had to keep working on the left foot the left foot and I think it did pay dividends when when it came to the when it came to the time we were adult footballers.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think, like, looking back on my career and talking to Colly Moore and, and him looking back on his career, like, I think we probably, like, you, you had a 14-year career in a Dublin jersey, which is unbelievable. And, like, as you said, you did it by just the skill of the game, by avoiding players, by, you know, using the skills that you had and, and honing in on them. But I think we tried to become that physical player that we were supposed to be and putting ourselves in the tackles and getting injured and hurting ourselves and then going on the train and kind of keep doing it. There's only a demand a short-lived career for a player that plays like that. And I, and I don't really see that with the case with the current Dublin team. Like, I don't think players are throwing themselves into the tackle or they're lashing the weights over it as much as they used to. No. But yet, this the career of a GAA team to county player is still gonna be less than fourteen years now. And do you just think that's purely because of the demands that it's got to rather than actually the physicality of the game?
1: It's probably a mixture of both, to be fair. I think like like every team has to have every team has to have guys that can hit hard and stuff. And you can't have you can't have 15 guys like me running around evading tackles. and <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. But but and I was lucky I always had like I always had bigger guys around me that that could do a lot of that work, like say guys like Relo, guys like, guys like yourself, guys like Kevin Bonner, like who'd win and put his head in somewhere where he wouldn't put the boot in. Like, that way, his know. nose is all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Even the likes of Flinner and stuff, like the amount of work Flinner did and the amount of, the amount of punishment Flinner took for other guys, like, um, and I was happy to do it. So, every team needs guys like that. But I think, just come back to the question on, 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 on. Kind of the longevity of guys' careers, like I think the commitment that it needs now to play at the top level, um, like is huge, and to do that for fourteen years, is is takes a lot of effort and takes a lot of sacrifice. And like I was lucky, you know, we were lucky enough to 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 play in a Dublin team that was competing for medals at the at the All Ireland series end of the season. Like if you're from a county that maybe hasn't won a provincial title or. We can't get to an All Ireland series. It's going to be very, very difficult to keep going for that length of time and putting your career on hold, putting your family on hold, expecting your girlfriend or your wife to to give up on summer holidays. Like my wife had to go away with, with when we had Jamie over to Spain during the summer with her two friends and Jamie. Like, and she only she had a great set of friends as well. She wouldn't have had anyone to go with. Who wants to go away with a? Who wants to go away with somebody on their child? Like at the it's end scary. of the day, she did, and they went away every summer for a week or two while I was playing football. Like so, I suppose. That made it easier for me as well. At least Lily and Jamie were able to get us from a holiday. That's the that's the sort of sacrifices people are making for you to, uh, or for me to go out and, out and play for Dublin. So so it's a lot to ask for people, and cause I suppose everyone isn't prepared to is prepared is prepared to make that effort. But you, you spoke like about, about the size of guys. I think the hits now and the injuries, the level of training, the intensity of the training, is putting pressure on guys' bodies, and and it's just harder and harder for guys to get right every year to come back.
0: You spoke about a lot of players there that were on different teams over the course of your career. Looking back on on the 14 years, what was the favourite team?
1: What was your favourite team you played for? Yeah, it's difficult to pick a favourite team. Go on. when Pillar was in charge, I loved the years Pillars were in charge. Like we were involved in Leinster Leinster championships that were really really tight every year, so we were getting two or three really good games in Leinster every year. But we didn't get to an All Ireland final. But I really enjoyed those years. But obviously, like it's hard to look past the year we had in 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 like in two thousand eleven winning All Ireland and and the journey that team came on. And there was a lot of guys that played on Pillars teams. One or two fell away. Like you, you look at the likes of wouldn't you loved him to hang on for a year to to. Like yeah. To win a all, Ireland medal, but um, I think the journey that team in 2011 came on after Pack came in in 2009, because um, it it's hard to um, hard to top that.
0: All right, so like your worst day was against Tyrone, uh, your best team that you played for was 2011. Who was the best player you played with? And I have got answers from other people about this. The best player you played with over your 14 years?
1: Uh, yeah, look there's 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 a few contenders. Um obviously look at and the difference he made for us and, and the longevity of his career and like having played with him for so long and you're, like at stages, you nearly take him for granted, and how good he actually is. And it's only when you sit back and you look at what he's doing, kind of year in, year out, that you can really appreciate how how, how exceptional a footballer he is. And um, look at Bernard and the scores he got for us in crucial games. And I knew I've spoken about it before, like I had a, a like fantastic kind of understanding with Bernard without having to speak about it too much. I knew when I went out to centre forward, if I could if I could get the ball to him in the right position, he was going to score. Um, he'll go mossy um, for a finisher for a guy I had an understanding with, and um, how good he was in front of goal. Um, he was fantastic. But I was to pick one, and it kind of coincided with 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 his his good form probably coincided with my kind of peak years. I, I'd I'd probably say Paul Flynn for for. Um, when he came into the squad first, like he was a, he was, he was aggressive. He was brash. He was a good footballer, but he had a lot to work on. And, and and kind of we often spoke about where he could improve and stuff. And like you obviously saw him firsthand too, and how he improved over the, over the five, six, or seven years up up to when he won the four All Stars in a row was was unbelievable. Like he came in, he developed the shooting that he probably became one of the best, if not the best shooter on the team, and. He was always good from wing forward to kick a goal or two or three points for us. And um, I think for the part he, play, he played, he played in all Ireland final with a torn hamstring, with a with an injection in it. So so for 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 his football and ability and, and his industrious around the field, I'll i say Paul Flynn. Yeah, but also, I'm not listening also an obvious, there, am I? <laughs> well, Callum <Collie> Moran <laughs> said you by the way. So
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> said that you are definitely his favourite player just because of everything that you you could do but I suppose when you talk about someone like Flinner he had it on the pitch but he's one of these people that could talk to talk and walk to walk like you see a few right. people that can talk a few games but very rarely do it in the big moments I think that's yeah, well, Flinner
1: was a, like he was the ultimate teammate like he'd like he'd dive out there every time he went out and, and he'd be happy to do so and um, like I said he could play it anyway if he wanted to play a rough he could play a rough with you if you wanted to play football he could play football and he could do serious damage to yourself, so uh, he was excellent.
0: He was a good man to go for a few points as well. Good man. Enjoyed a few <laughs> points as well, to be fair, to him. <laughs> it always helps. Uh, my last question, Ali, you'd be pleased to know is who's your favorite current player and why? Uh my
1: favorite my favorite current player. I'm gonna say um I'm gonna say Kieran sir so Kenny. Um Obviously, he lives close by to me here in Castlenock and I've I've known him since he was since he was a young lad in the in the nurseries in Castlenock or in the summer camps in Castlenock and kind of seen him develop over the years. And and look, he has his critics about he 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 kind of plays the game, um he goes back with the ball, and he's 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 a bit too patient with it. But I think he's playing the way he, he's playing the game the way it has evolved. And I think if he was playing back in the mid '90s, he'd probably he'd be a similar type of player to the way I was you get plenty of space to take your man on and you have opportunities to go one-on-one with guys Where I think he realised he's a very, very intelligent footballer he realised that the game has to be played a certain way and um, I think particularly teams playing against Dublin have a lot of men behind the ball so you, so you need to be patient with the ball you need to prod and probe to look for openings. and I think he's exceptional with that and he's he's, he's, he's decided maybe James McCarthy's He's probably been the most consistent Dublin player over the last uh, over the last five or six years. But look, it's a very difficult question. Obviously, I've played with lots of them. My own club mate, Sean Bugler, I think is going to be a fantastic footballer. We've been talking about him for a year or two now. I think he was starting to show real promise there in a few of the National League matches. Um, and Hopefully, when we get back playing, he can continue in that, that form. Obviously, James McCarthy as well has been fantastic. Stephen Cluckson, Conor Callahan. The isn't everyone there. <laughs> no, I'm gonna go I'm gonna stick with you, Kenny.
0: Yeah, all right. Well look, uh, the time has got the better of us, unfortunately, but I always enjoy catching up with you. And yeah, good it, it's unfortunate it's in these circumstances, but still I think it's always good. I always learn something new from you. I always get a hidden gem of information that I'll use the next time. And I didn't even get to t- talk about your lucky red vest, but <laughs> I'll keep that for another. That's what I'm show. Yeah, it's another day, it's another day. But look, I suppose from my point of view, uh, I, I always enjoy catching up, as I said, but I always enjoy playing with you. I think you just you were always open. You made my life a lot easier and you made a lot of players' lives a lot easier. And that's why Collie Moran says you were his best player that he's ever played with. And I, we're going to do a few more of these and I'm sure you're going to crop up in a few more people's answers as well. So just. Yeah, oh, Collie,
1: he, um, he was captain of our twenty one team in two thousand and one, my first year out of minor, and I'll, I'll never forget we played um, we played a semi final, Leinster semi-final, and he went down and he played a senior league match against Kerry Down and Clarny the following day in Torres Hamstring and he missed the uh, missed the Leinster final and made hammered us in the Leinster final. But he was by Front like he was our well. We Wayne McCarthy as well. who was he was playing with the seniors. Declan Connell, I think, as well, was playing a little bit. But like, he was a real talisman, and he got injured playing a playing a National League match the day after a Twenty One semi-final. So, we talk about the player welfare, but that's uh, I'm sure he still remembers he was disappointed by it. But, yeah, good footballer himself, Collie. Ah,
0: great. But like you talk about players that you wish could win another, and like yeah. you know Willow. he's definitely up there. Like you know everything.
1: Yeah, you that Shane Ryan him. him, yeah. Yeah, yeah so.
0: I know that it's great that you were able to win as many as you did and, and, and we were all able to get one in the end. But, you know, when you look back and you start talking to lads like Kali that were there through the really shit times, put yeah. their body on the line. And and I suppose until you start actually having these conversations, like until you start researching Kali, I know we're going off the point now, but like exactly what you said, he played three matches in one day. He played yeah. for UCD. And... Um, Dublin 21s captain, Dublin Seniors, he played international rules in the 21s, he's playing for Bally Bowden Seniors, like he, he was just, you'd never see it again, like you know, yeah. and I think people, fans may not know that, and may not know what he gave to a Dublin jersey, so yeah. but like I'm actually talking to Collie, uh again, and I think a few bits of information will come out when people start listening to a story a bit more. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. He hasn't spoken too much like over the years, no, and I think he that's a lot to out. do with how his career ended. Yeah, yeah. it kind of peered out in the end because of the injuries, yeah. But going in from
0: going in from an injury like that to a career ending injury to management wanting you to stay on as a selector and the challenges that that face. So he's had
1: hip replacements on, hasn't
0: he? Yeah, at 28. Twenty-eight, last mad situation. Yeah, he's thirty-eight now, so he won't be hitting the dance floor anytime soon. But he's drinking WD forty just to be sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, look, Ali. Thanks for this. Very
1: Stay safe and say hello to the family. Yeah, we're well, same to you.